Well, hey, it's good to be here. My name is Ryan, and I'm just going to pray. So um, we have a lot of students. Normally, a lot of our um, high school and junior high students sit over there. They're at the outpouring this weekend, and they're wrapping up. They're coming home today. So I want to pray for them and just heard God's doing amazing things there and our children. And Lord, we just thank you for the wonderful gifts you've given us of children, of students, of family, of disciple making, of just each individual here, Lord. We just love you, and we praise you, and we thank you that you're a God who's with us, and you care about us, that you're personal, Lord, that you're a personal God who cares about people. So we just praise you and we love you and we just invite you in this place. In your name we pray, amen. I want to encourage you too. This Tuesday, I'm not uh, like a political guy, not gonna get into that stuff, but I encourage you to vote. We live in a country where we get to vote. A lot of people, a lot of countries, even if you have that right, the things are already determined. And we live in an age and time where there's a lot of pivotal stuff. So like if you're a, a person that um, cares about the country you live in at all, or you might think my vote doesn't make a difference, it really does. It really does. And your voice makes a difference. And your heart makes a difference. And your prayers make a difference. So however you feel like God's leading us as a people in this country, go to the voter box on Tuesday. Because there's some really essential stuff. If you live in Ohio, Indiana, Kentucky, it's essential. There's big stuff, um, like on the horizon, there's things happening now, and our voice counts. So I want to encourage you to do that. That's all I'm going to say about voting. Um, so a few weeks ago, I shared my testimony about how my life was stuck in bondage to sin and compulsive behaviors. And the best part of my story is not that I was stuck. The best part of my story is, is that meeting Jesus in a very personal practical and powerful way changed my whole life. And I'm actually here today and I get to be on staff at a church where my life before was way too fallen, way too mixed up in sin, way too mixed up in brokenness where I was barely hanging on to my marriage and my family, let alone leading other people. But as I learned to meet Jesus in a very, like I said, personal, practical, powerful way, um, my life started to have definition. My life started to have purpose. My life started to have hope. And out of a very bad, uh, stuck situation, God rescued me. And he's remade my entire life. So wherever you are in your story today, maybe you've been walking with Jesus for like 100 years, or maybe you're like, I'm just showing up today, find out what this is about. I want you to know that Jesus wants to meet you where you are and that there's a way forward and he has way more planned and way more possible for your life than you ever imagined or that you could ever do on your own, ever. Like there is way more in Jesus than we can comprehend. And so we just finished a series that we did for the last nine weeks called Jesus Everything. And at the end of a really good book, there's like an appendix. There's an afterwards. The next couple weeks are the afterwards or the appendix of how we practically live in to a Jesus everything life. Prior to Jesus everything, we were in a series called Trifecta, and we talked about, there's kind of this triness that we see in the life of Jesus, where there's like this, let me see, if, does this turn on even? Uh, I don't know. Normally, so this is like up, in, out. And we talk about this, not like some cultish thing, but we see in the life of Jesus, that Jesus had this amazing vertical connection that we call up. Jesus, uh, like, like when Martha, when he comes to town and her brother's been dead and stinky for four days, her brother Lazarus, Jesus, like Martha's like, where have you been? And Jesus is like, dude, I was on my way. It's the right time. She's like, 
I knew if you would have said the word, he would come back, and I know even now you can do anything. Martha knew Jesus had this connection with God that when he prayed, things happened. Things can change. And so we, have, we knew Jesus had this amazing sense of up and Jesus had this amazing sense of in where he lived life together with a radical community of believers, fellowship and fellowship. This week we're gonna talk about up, about how we practically can orient our lives towards this God who is personal, who's practical and powerful and wants to meet with us. And then in two weeks, we're gonna talk about out. How do we live on mission to do what Jesus did? So this week, how do we fall in love with God? How do we love each other and do life together as disciples? Then out, how do we live on mission to love and impact the world? In Jesus, um, we learn that a pathway with Jesus, everything starts with connection to him. See, there's a lot of different thoughts out there. There's a lot of... um, a lot of religious sects, even in Christendom, that make Jesus very impersonal. That you have to go through a priest, or you have to go through a program, or you have to go through some other medium to connect with God. And we believe here, here at the Vineyard Florence, oh, and by the way, not trying to correct anyone, but the last two weeks, our website is not vineyardchristian.church, it's vineyardflorence.church. And at the vineyardflorence.church, we believe that Jesus is very personal. That he wants to, wherever we are, if we're in the gutter, we're in a brothel, we're laying on our deathbed, or if we're just like a child, we're in the middle of our best day or our worst, we believe Jesus wants to personally connect his story with ours. And so I learned in my life as God delivered me from a sexual addiction that as I focused on him, as my life got balanced and as I persisted, that amazing growth, change, and healing comes. So you might be thinking, I'm walking to a church today and you're talking about like prayer and this connection with God. I'll tell you, even if you don't know God, your only path forward is a connection to him. Amen. You look at all the 12-step groups. You look at AA, you look at NA, you look at SA, that most people's lives who come to the end of it, they had to realize that their lives were unmanageable and there was something outside themselves that they need to connect with, to give them um, just a modicum of freedom, of balance, of hope. And so today, we're gonna talk about how to practically do that. And really, um, what I have to ask you too, and you might be, oh man, you're gonna talk about prayer or connection with Jesus. That sounds so boring. I'm gonna flip the question Do you believe on any level that Jesus is worth your time? Because that's what prayer, that's what worship, that's what the Bible, that's what fasting, that's what church, church says to Jesus, I believe you're worth my time. Or I believe you're at least worth a look. Because you're here today for some reason that you believe that maybe, even you're here for the first time, or you're like, this might be my last time. Unless he nails it. Well, I'm sorry. I, I, probably won't, I will probably not overwhelm you today. But I believe God can. And I believe that Jesus does. And the thing is, is he even worth our time? So the up talk is not about, oh, I got to do more Bible study and more prayer and go to intercessory. All that stuff's great. And I think maybe you should. But here's the, the bigger, the bigger, like the meta narrative. Is God worth our time? 
Is God worth my time? Is God worth my effort? Is he worth my desire? Is he worth my affection? And if I don't think he's personal, if I don't think he's practical, and I don't think he's powerful, he probably won't. And so what we want to talk about today is kind of what the monks talk about. Um, there's a great book. I like to talk about books I read, um, not because like, I'm a self, uh, self-promoter, because I, I haven't written a book yet, but um, I want to promote things that are worth reading. And there was a book that's mostly worth reading uh, that I read several years ago, The Benedict Option, by a guy named Rod Dreher. And he wrote this book about how like, the monastic movements at critical, pivotal times have actually saved societies and sent history back on a, kind of like a spiritual chiropractic. And The Benedict Option is about this Benedictine monk named Benedict, who started this uh, monastic order, came out of the desert, and started these orders. Benedict went in the desert for a long time because basically a flight from society. Anyone ever feel like you just need a flight from the society we live in? Woo! Right now. That is great, but don't stay there. Because Jesus wants us to come there so he can release us to live like he lived. Yeah. So it's, it's the whole enchilada. Jesus did up so he could do in and it fueled him for out. And so what Benedict did is Benedict came out of this, formed this kind of cloister life, but then also said, like, there's a rule. There's a way that we got to move forward if we're ever going to do what God's calling us to do. And Benedict called this rule, this daily rule, the daily office. Let's flip to 2 Chronicles chapter 8. This is where Benedict kind of came up with the rule for the monastic order that has been so impactful in history. And you might think it's weird you're talking about monks. Well, you're, you're gonna understand a little bit more today. Solomon then, Solomon was the son of King David. And Solomon, it says, then Solomon offered burnt offerings to the Lord at the altar which he had built before the porch. Solomon had just got done constructing this grand temple for the Lord. David didn't get to finish it. He started it. Solomon came in and finished it. And this is kind of the dedication. And it says that this altar he built before the Lord at the porch. And he did so according to the daily rule. Offering them up accordance with the commandment of Moses for the Sabbaths, the new moon, the three annual feasts, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, Feast of Weeks, Feast of Booths. Now, according to the ordinance of his father David, he appointed the divisions of the priests for their service, the Levites, in duties of praise, ministering before the priest according to the daily rule, and the gatekeepers for their division at every gate for David, the man of God, that he had so commanded. And they did not depart from the commandment of the king, of the priests, of the Levites, in any manner or concerning the storehouse, their tithes. Thus, all the work of Solomon was carried out from the day of foundation of the house of the Lord and until it was finished. So the house of the Lord was completed just like Moses, David, Solomon, etc. So the whole point of this tabernacle was that God was a God who wanted to dwell with his people. You look at the garden real fast. The thing that Adam and Eve had, Adam and Eve had different than the rest of the people of the Old Testament is they dwelled in communion with God minute by minute. This Edenic place, Eden, was a fruitful place. It was the place, it wasn't going to be the only place. The whole world was going to be an Eden if Adam and Eve stuck to the program. So the whole world was not fallen. It was beautiful. It was perfect. God made it and was good and he saw it. But what happened with Adam and Eve 
is Adam and Eve, what sin caused, the worst thing sin caused was not physical death. The worst thing sin caused was an ever-present, always available connection to the presence of God. Jesus says, I'm life, so apart from him must be death. When Adam and Eve said yes to sin, they said no to life, death was the consequence of sin. It was the consequence, and the the worst consequence, I believe, was the loss of the all-access pass to the presence of God. So God was a God who always wanted to be with his people. So we see again and again, he pops up and he wants to walk with his people, be with the people. And even Moses in Exodus 33, before any of this temple business started, Moses said, unless you go, we don't wanna go. Unless you stay, we don't wanna stay because the thing that sets us apart from all the other peoples of the earth, from the Hindus, from the Buddhists, from the Mormons, from the whatever, was that your presence goes with us. We're a people of the presence. So this tabernacling thing that they built, the Ark of the Covenant, Solomon then did in a grander form was this temple where people could go enter the presence of God. So this daily rule started a place where people could enter the presence of God. Well, you fast forward from Solomon to Benedict. What Benedict saw happening in society is people were living again like they lost the presence of God. And so this daily rule that governed the temple function, well, Benedict knew that we're the temple. We're the temple. This this church, 7101 Old Pleasant Valley Way, is not the temple. You are. I am. If you have Jesus, you are the temple. Say to your neighbor, I am the temple. I am the temple. We're the temple of the living God. And so that means that the presence dwelled in the temple. So in the Ark of the Covenant was contained the presence that wasn't available to everyone. In the tabernacle was the presence that wasn't available to everyone. You had to go to this place because just like Adam and Eve, they were cast out and there was a curtain, there was a lid, there was something that separated the people from the presence. Well, when Jesus died, it said the veil of the temple was torn in two and what God released was his presence and now we have this all access pass to the presence of God again. When we talk about meeting with the living God, dude, it is an all access past the presence of God that lives inside of us. That the God who exiled him from Eden has returned and said, this Edenic thing that happened back then that was shut down, I'm now bringing Eden to you and through you and you're to go spread the good news throughout the earth and make the whole earth an Eden again. You're the party. I'm the party. Where we go, the party is. Where we go, the presence is. Because we're people of the presence. The thing that makes us any different from the rest of the people on the earth is that the Holy Spirit is in us. Every other religion has to climb up the mountain to get to God. And our faith, our God came down from the mountain to get to us. Yeah. And so when we talk about a quiet time, we're not going to talking about some trite little boring thing. We're talking about the presence of the living God. And if he's worth my time, I get to meet him there. Because I get a privilege. I get a vote. It counts. It counts with him when we spend time with him. So how we meet with Jesus is this daily office, this daily rule. And we talk a lot about Sabbath here. I'll tell you this. uh, A guy that I really like, a writer, author, pastor, uh, Pete Scazzaro says this in one of his books, The 
emotionally health, um, an emotionally healthy spirituality. He says, if we don't get the daily rule or the daily office, we'll never get the weekly Sabbath. If, is anyone here and ever had a hard time, like the Sabbath concept, like the thought of turning your life off for 24 hours sound near impossible? Or you've tried it and you keep failing? Start having a daily quiet time and watch how much easier it is. Because you can't give someone 24 hours if you can't give them five minutes. It's just practical, right? It's just a practical thing. Five minutes, like Luke has talked about a couple weeks ago, that five, five, five. Like start off with just five minutes of calm and say, Jesus, I welcome you. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, will you show up today? Spend five minutes reading your Bible and then five minutes just kind of journaling what you feel like he said. Just start there and see what he does because there's this privilege that God is practical He's personal and he's powerful and he wants to meet with us. That's why we do a quiet time. If you're driving a car, the gas station doesn't look that sexy until you have no gas. Right? You have to go there. No matter how much you drive or how cool your car is, you drive, if you drive a Ferrari or you drive my Chevette that I had for my first car, you have to go to the gas station. If you've walked with Jesus for 50 years or you're just knowing him, you have to go meet him for that fuel to spur you forward. Just plain and simple. If you don't do it, he will probably look at you someday and say, I didn't know you. Why? Because he didn't know you. You didn't get to know him. That's just, it's the move. And so what it, what it means when it says in this passage that it says it was holy, it was set apart, it lists all these feasts and all these events where it talks about it was very practical that it was set apart. See, here's the important thing about Jesus is Jesus is holy. Say to the person next to you, Jesus is holy. Look at him and say, you are holy. And then look at him and say, I am holy. Do you know you are set apart so much that no one else has a fingerprint like you? Like the retina of anyone else's eye is not like yours. No one has the exact same amount of hair on their head some people more than others. Um, but you are, you are holy. You're set apart for God. You're not just an evolutionary accident. You're not just a random chance. You're the process of not just an intelligent design, but a loving design. And he wants to meet with you and be with you. So he restored that presence that was given to the first people. To you, if you want to become his kid, he wants to meet with you. And that's why we talk about this quiet time, this daily rule, not like it's a rule, like it's rules. It's meant to rule our lives. The daily rule is meant to govern my thoughts. So a Jesus everything life, if it's everything, I include Jesus in how I think. I include Jesus in how I see or what I see. I include Jesus in how I talk, what I talk about. I include Jesus in who I talk to or when I talk. I include Jesus in my activities. I include Jesus in my friendships. I include Jesus in my marriage and my parenting and my working. That Jesus, everything means everything. And that, that's the kind of God. So you might think, oh, I came on the quiet time day. How does this apply to me as a first timer or like a newbie? Because God of the universe wants to meet you. And he doesn't just wanna meet you at the altar today. He wants to meet you the rest of your life every minute. That's how much he cares about us. And holiness really matters. Holiness just means set apart. So what I said, you're set apart. You're made differently. 
is my life set apart for the rule of Jesus? If I'm, if I'm uh, uh, unique, do I live like it? And I would say that, um, that God wants to meet us in a way that says things that we never could have imagined. And so in this daily rule, what I would say, if you wanna live a Jesus everything life, start orient parts of your time to connect deliberately with him. Now, I praise God when I'm doing the dishes. I talk to him when I'm mowing the grass. I talk to him when I, I want to um, just go nuts. I, I try to hear from him all the time. But like, I do that better and better when I have a deliberate time with him too. Very deliberate. Anyone who's married knows that, yeah, you can do stuff with your spouse all the time, but still have some distance being right next to him if you haven't had that intimate time to connect. And I'm not just talking about getting down between the sheets. I'm talking about a lot of times we don't even have that because we never even talk for five minutes. Okay? That intimacy isn't just that. Intimacy is the stuff leading up to it, men. Men. Your wife will probably be more obliged to feel um, intimate with you if she feels like you've cared about the details of her day, which you might say, oh my gosh, she has all these, like a million apps open and all she's, you know what? I bet if you listened, she'd feel loved. God is the same way. Do you know God wants more than us just talking to him endlessly? I bet if we listen sometimes, said, what are you saying in this craziness of my life? He'd be like, dude, here we go. I'll tell you exactly what it is. I'll tell you exactly what I think. And people, just like our spouse doesn't always tell us what we want to hear, or our best friends, God's the same way, but he always will tell us, God's never going to drop something on us to embarrass, embarrass us, needlessly harm us, but he drops stuff on us because like, he wants us to come closer, and sometimes there's barriers, or sometimes he just drops stuff because he's like, I love you, and I'm going to share with you something I'm not sharing with other people because you care enough to listen. So if you ever look at some people's lives, why do some people's lives have power that mine don't? It's because they've just connected with Jesus in an intimate way, in a regular way, that's led to a powerful way. So you might hear people say, well, God said to me. Well, I've never heard God say anything. Have you let him talk? Well, one time I tried and went to a quiet retreat. I'm just saying daily. Daily. And that's what... Uh, in an upward life. So here's what it looks like. My friend Margie is gonna come up. Margie... Um, is one of, she always says she's a volunteer here, but Margie, don't let her fool you. Margie's like a ninja. Come on up, Margie Ninja. <laughs> Margie serves here on our board, on our board of elders, and Margie's just an uh, amazing woman, loves Jesus, loves her husband, her kids, and loves the kingdom. And so Margie's one of those people that, um, to me, just exudes a Jesus everything life. So as I was thinking about, about this message, um, I, I asked Margie, hey, could you share what the rhythm and fabric of your life looks like in a practical way of how Jesus, how you connect vertically with Jesus um, at very specific points and throughout your day? Off you go. There we go. Hello. Um, well, I'm, I'm humbled to 
even be asked to talk about this because, you know, I'm just trying my best here. Um, but what, what this looks like for me as far as like practical things in my daily life, uh, I do make time for just one-on-one with the Lord. Like there's been times in my life where it was kind of like, well, I just talked to him throughout the day and that type of thing, kind of like what Ryan was saying. But um, I didn't probably cry because I'm really passionate about this, but I didn't want to waste any more time not putting him on the throne of my life. So, um, um, so in the morning I wake up, uh, at about five ish. And let me tell you, that sounds crazy to some people. It's really not for me because I've had three years of kids that woke up too early. So it works for me because I'm kind of trained to get up early. So that's something I'd say like, Work, do what works for you. For some people, it's night. I am asleep by 9.15. So like five works for me. Um, but I spend time alone with him at five because everybody else is sleeping. I keep it dark. And honestly, like I act like he's across from me. And so um, I talk out loud to him so I don't fall asleep or anything like that. There's a book I use called Face to Face. It's by a guy named Kenneth Boa. And um, it's praying the scriptures. So he kind of breaks down different scriptures into first person prayer, which is so powerful. Um, so it's kind of like, I wrote it all down, but I'm not going to look at it. It's kind of like, it's kind of like um, the Lord's prayer where you're kind of doing um, some scriptures that have to do with adoration, some scriptures that have to do with Thanksgiving, some scriptures that have to do with petition. So I walk through those. So it's a a combination of meditating, of praying, and then you pause, and then you apply it to the things in your life. So it's powerful, and I never even get through it all. Um, So either do that, or the ladies in our study, in our um, house group, are studying a chapter a day of the Bible. So sometimes I just meditate on that. Um, And then my kids start crying and getting up. So uh, get them their their milk and their pouch and their cartoon. (laughs) And And then I do the Zoom prayer, which is super awesome to do corporate prayer on Zoom. Um, after that, uh, if, if it's a work day, I go to work. If it's not, I'm doing the dishes. I'm listening to commentaries. I'm praying. I'm trying to talk to my kids throughout the day um, or pray for my clients. That's awesome. How do you, with your kids, with your husband, how do you kind of incorporate some of these rhythms on a level that is, you know, palatable or mm-hmm. sensible for them? Um, so I have a two, three and 10 year old, uh, so that it's, you know, diverse, but it's amazing how much they pick up even at a young age. So, uh, like I try and do scripture with them. Like my three-year-old, it's like super catches on to scripture. So we're memorizing scripture just throughout the day. Like we talk to him. So it's like, Oh, did you see those leaves? God, thank you so much. It's so funny when your two-year-old says, praise the Lord. But I'm just trying to make them, like, be aware of him, of, about everything. So whenever they're hurt, like, Elena will go and pray for people, you know, put their, her hands on them now because it's just a normal part of life. Yeah, I mean, just, like, just imagine, like, anyone ever cussed in front of their kids? I have. Um, and when your kids cuss, 
at a very unsuspecting time, like, well, where did you hear that? Well, my dad said it, or my mom said it. Like, just like kids pick up on the bad things that you don't want them to do, they pick up on the good things too. So if they see you praying for each other, or praying for people, or praising God, they'll do it too. Um, how, how does your family, um, actually, let's skip over that one. How have you all grown collectively in these rhythms of kind of the daily connection, the weekly connection? How have you grown in it the last several years, kind of practicing Sabbath and stuff like that? We'll roll those two into one. Uh, I'd say intentionally, trying to do things intentionally. So the Sabbath is something that we are like working on. We're not great at it. But um, some of the intentional things that we do is like uh, the days I'm home during the week, I try and get all the chores done, all the things so that the weekend is freed up from those types of things. Um, You know, the laundry, the cleaning, it's all done by the weekend so that a a day of rest is possible. Um, what we need to work on more is making it more God-centric. So like, um, not only are we clearing it up, but also like making him more of a point of discussion and focusing our worship on him during those mm, days. That's good. And uh, I don't know, what, what are the, like, if you could say something to people like in just a few sentences, or you know, a few sentences or paragraphs, like how, like about the importance of connecting with Jesus and the transformative effect it's had on your life, what would you say to people? Um, I would say that it's what life is worth, it's the reason life is worth living. <laughs> Not to be dramatic, but it's like, it's like being able to connect with the creator of the world and have like a purpose and feel your purpose every day, like in your workplace and in your family. It like, it's like flat without him. So yeah, it, it means everything. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Margie. And I would say on that, like, you might be like, oh, this Christianity thing. I will tell you this. I know there's lots of bad examples of Christianity. There's lots of bad ones. There's lots of reasons not to believe or lots of reasons not to lean in. But I will tell you this, conversely, Everywhere where the gospels lived really well, it's never had a bad impact. When you look at the kingdom of Jesus versus the other things that are charading as kingdoms and dominions in this world, when you look at everywhere the fingerprints of the gospel in their forms as you look in the book, as you look in this book, when you look at, and I'm not talking about some of the bloody crusades. I'm not talking about bizarre stuff. I'm not talking about Salem witch trials. I'm not talking about that. When you look at stuff, when people obeyed, when they heard Jesus's voice and they obeyed it, it had an amazing impact on their life and the world around them. Just simply put, you look at hospitals, universities, you look at, there's just so many things in our society, orphanages, things that like when those things are lived into, how much the gospel has transformed stuff. Like you even look like in England, World War II, the, everything, it was battening down the hatches. It looked like it was over. Hitler was moving in. Things were gonna fall apart. Churchill just like wasn't the most religious man, but he said, dude, we're just gonna pray because we don't know what else to do. They set aside a national day of prayer, fasting, and the Brits went for it and the tide turned because God is available, because he's personal, because he is practical and he's powerful. And when we just hear his voice, some of the stuff we've never been able to get over or get through or get to in our lives, maybe you're in here and you keep stubbing your toe on the same daggone thing. That's where I was. That's what an addiction is. I started yielding more to God. 
and hearing his voice and listening for his voice and letting his word wash over me and not just learning it to know it, but learning it to live it and to let it live inside of me, God started changing everything. And that's, that's why this is important. That daily rule is important because anything worth doing is worth doing more than once. And anything worth doing more than once is worth doing well. And I think everything we want to do well, and I've looked in my life that if it's worth being good at, it's worth being bad at first. So it's been hard for me to get into a rhythm. I, I could make disciples and I could go reach out to people all day long. It was really hard for me to connect with God, to just sit there. Because every time I did, I'd cry or I'd feel like a turd or I just felt embarrassed or I felt distracted. But it wasn't until I learned that he loved me of how much he really cared about me. He didn't just tolerate me, he desired me, that it changed my life. It changed my family. That I learned not just that like I had to serve God, but that God's like, hey, I actually wanna serve you first. We love because he first loved us. And so the practical, powerful thing of the daily rule, how like the monks have been able to change society over and over again is because of these time-tested principles of the daily rule of honor, of worship, of holiness, of just setting aside parts of our lives or our lives for the kingdom always has a huge effect on the world around us. When we love God, we will always make disciples and impact the world. We always will. These are just like the fruit of that. So I encourage you to take some time this week. Take some time to just listen and say, Jesus what are you saying to me? And if you're like, well, I've never tried that, read the Bible first. Read the Bible first and just take a passage. Start in the book of Matthew or start in the book of John and just read the Bible and just read a passage. And what was it saying about God in its original context? What's he saying to his original audience? And then what are you saying to me, God? What are you saying to me? And then how do I respond to this? It's not just for head knowledge, but it's like the knowledge that comes like to here, through here, always goes into the rest of our lives. So it's like, then Jesus, what do I do with this? Because a prayer that God will almost, there's two prayers God will answer right on the spot almost every time. One is, God, um, have I offended you? Because we're offensive. Or God, where, where, do you wanna, where do you wanna bring more of you into my life? He'll talk to those all day. He'll show us right away. And God doesn't show us where we're wrong because he just wants to act like he's right. It's because with, when the stuff we get stuck in makes it hard for his, him to move through our lives. And so when I say, Jesus, where do you want to move through me more? He'll start saying, hey, do you remember that thing you said to Carla? Or do you remember that joke you made with Marco? Or do you remember what you said to James? Or do you remember how you felt when that person did that to you? I want you to forgive them. Or maybe they need to forgive you because you hurt them. Or maybe you really hurt me by the way you keep talking about filthy things or lying or exaggerating or whatever it is, God will almost instantaneously start speaking that. Or if you say, Jesus, how can I show your love with someone else? Bam, watch how people walk out in front of you. And so I want to wrap up on this. I believe... I believe that 
our lives can be radically different if we'll start meeting with God. I believe the first step to a Jesus everything life is a Jesus in some things life. So start the five, five, five. Try to invite him in your day. And then you're like, well, I only have 10 minutes in the morning. Well, give him 10 minutes. And then your drive to work. You know, maybe turn off sports radio and just turn on the Bible app. Or maybe turn on some worship music or turn on K-Love, whatever it looks like, and just see if that doesn't change you. Oh, but I, it's, it's about a heart orientation of someone that loves you. We're not trying to force you into anything. I'm just saying anyone whose life that I ever met that was worth imitating had a deep sense of connection of how much God loved them and how much he wanted to be with them and they took the opportunity and they reciprocated it. And I think many of us aren't bad, we're just too busy. I think we aren't necessarily stuck in patterns of sin like I was or doing awful stuff but um, to the busy and to the bad, to those who never repented, to the lukewarm and the cold, they'll, they'll get the same treatment. It was only those that said, God, I wanna respond to you, that he'll say, come on in. Now he puts the invitation out there, he wants everyone to. Jesus hasn't come back yet, because he loves everyone alive so much that he's waiting for more and more people to hear about him. But the gospel we give is the gospel we receive. Sorry. There we go. I like to dance. I should have moved out. So not good at it. But, but here, here's the thing is Jesus loves you and he wants to connect with you. And the more we get that, the better gospel we're gonna have to give other people. And so... Like Margie said, just take, take some time. Read, read the Bible. This is a great book. It's not just a book to be read. It's a book to read over and over and chew on it, distill it, listen to it. Jesus says, I'm the word made flesh. Like he's, he's, this story is about him. It's his love letter to us. Read the Bible. Read a um, commentary, like she said. Read a devotion, my utmost for his highest. There's another tag. You want to read one book a day the rest of your life? Read my utmost for his highest. 365 days a year, it's just a drink from the fire hose. Pray. Pray by just taking a deep breath. Sometimes, like, just, we just need to breathe stuff out. Sometimes we just need to, bleh. So you're like, how do I start my day? Just breathe it out and say, Jesus, yesterday sucked or today feels overwhelming. And just breathe that out and watch what he does with it. Journal, start writing it down. There's something that happens when our, our, our minds and hearts kind of tend to align when our body gets involved. And like Margie said, talk aloud. Write down your thoughts, your prayers, your worries. Join the Zoom prayer. We talk about that all the time, not just because we're like desperate to, for like population numbers. We don't even keep track but we just know that the more people that are on there, it seems like their lives are changing, people who pray regularly. You know, um, reach out, pray with a friend. You're like, dude, I can't get this quiet time thing. I can't get the same God. Can you show me how to do it? I'll show you how to do it. Someone here will show you how to do it. You know, whatever it, whatever it takes, and this isn't something like a have to, this is a get to. 
we don't have to do whatever because God's holy. He's gonna be holy whether I respond to him or not, whether you respond to him or not. I get to respond to him because in his holiness, in his vastness, in his incomprehensibility, he still says your life's important to him. And he's all that in a bag of chips and he still says, I will meet with you every second of your life if you let me. I will tabernacle with you every drop of your existence and I will change it all and I'll do things in you that no one else can or ever could or ever will. And I have a plan for you that I won't reveal to you until you let me talk to you. But then watch what I do with what you give me. That's why we live up. It's not so we can reach God. He's already given us everything so he can reach us. And we just reach back. It's like that Adam and God painting. He's, he's right there. If I just extend that thing and flick up, he's like, boom, it's on. So I encourage you to think about this week. I encourage you to think about how is your life orienting towards God? Are you giving in to his order, to his rule? Because if the rule, the Benedictine thing, and it's not about Benedict, it's just that they really took the word of God really seriously in a practical way, and it changed them and changed their world. If you want the world to change, and I want the world to change, let's just start with letting him change us. And then as he filters through us, the gospel will start coming out of us in a powerful way that we can't help but be changed, and those around us can't either. So how, how, do you want, how does God want to reorient your life? How does he want to change? How, how, does he, how would it help to set apart part of your day for him and let his love, his connection, his power move through you? So we're gonna to pray today. So maybe you're like, I'm having a real hard time with this. I'm having a hard time getting it. Or maybe you're just in church for the first time and you're like, I'm struggling and I need some help. Well, Jesus wants to meet you. Don't leave here today without letting Jesus meet you. He doesn't just wanna save us. He wants to live with us. He wants to move through our lives. And so maybe you don't know Jesus and he, he would invite you today to come. He says, I stand at the door and knock. Well, if you're here today and you're hearing this message and you don't know him, he's knocking. And he says that anyone who opens that door, I'll come and dine with him. Friends come to our house to eat. He wants to come to you as a friend today and says, I wanna dine with you. Not just one time, but every day the rest of your life. I want to relate to you. And so maybe you don't know Jesus. So if the prayer teams would come up, we'd love to pray that Jesus, that you could relate to him in a new way and find out how he wants to relate to you. Or maybe you're like, man, I've just kind of grown stale and I need a shot in the arm. We'd love to pray with you today. Or maybe your life's, you know him, but it's a mess and you need freedom, you need healing. Or you're just like, hey, I just want some prayer for a need I've got or a decision I've got. We wanna do it today. So Father, would you meet us? We love you. We thank you that you're practical, that you're personal, that you're powerful, and you're available, and that you love us. And we pray these things in your mighty and beautiful name. Amen. Amen. Go and sin less this week. Love you guys.